0: Uh, please give a very, very warm uh, Green Bay Community Church welcome to Sean Hennessy, pastor of Life Church in De Pere. So cool! This place is so cool. So I, I, I was here first service, and and my son was with me. He's 12. First of all, open your Bibles to the Book of Matthew. Let's get to that first. Matthew chapter nine. And if you don't have a Bible and you want to borrow one or use one, I'm sure they can keep it. There's some people who have some Bibles that they'll give to you. If you just raise your hand, they'll deposit one of those in your hand. So my son, who's 12, was with me for a service. He sat right down here. And so in between services, I said, um, bro, what'd you think? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. This is, wow, that's awesome. Maybe that's like a huge encouragement from a 12-year-old. This is pretty good. He said, you didn't talk to these people enough, so <laughs> what's up? <laughs> he was like, you talked to everybody except where I was sitting. You didn't You didn't look over at us. You didn't look at Pastor Bobby. You didn't look at that crew. And so anyway, it's great to get feedback from a 12-year-old in between services, isn't it? <laughs> so anyway, uh, so cool to be here. This is so unusual. I don't know if you know that. It's completely unusual unusual. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk in circles till I get dizzy and pass out. How's that? (laughs) The whole team here is like, someone help him. No, this is so unusual. And I don't mean just where your stage is set up. What I mean is it's so abnormal for a pastor to have another pastor in their community come. And what I love about this church and what I love about Pastor Troy is that he's not about Pastor Troy. He's about the kingdom and he's about this city And so our vision statement as a church is that we exist to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the people of the 920. That's what we call Green Bay, the 920. I'm not from here. I'm, I am also a transplant from California. I moved here from San Diego and I was here about three months before I realized that the sun actually does come out during the winter. And so, so we hurt for pastor Troy this morning that he's having to suffer for Jesus. In, in sunny Southern California, and only in Green Bay does it turn 40 and everyone takes their coat off. You're like, it's awesome, it's spring outside. This is, people are losing their mind right now. People, I saw somebody walk in, in here in shorts. We're crying out loud. Let's, let's use wisdom in this place. And so uh, I have been loving this series that you guys have been in uh, more than a feeling, although I'm like Bobby, That anytime I hear the title I want to sing the song so I write my messages to music because I'm inspired by music this is the first time ever that I have written a message to the backdrop of Boston's greatest hits because you can't listen to one Boston song and not get lost in the labyrinth that is Boston and so it's been really cool to kind of watch this series and and the fact that faith it is not it's not a feeling it's not optimism, it's not a wish, it's not a hope, faith. I love this line, that it's not a belief that. It couldn't be better described than Hebrews chapter 11, kind of the theme verse, the faith chapter, literally God's hall of fame filled with people who are God's first ballot hall of famers, people that it kind of lists down and talks about them, that it would be our goal as Jesus people, that at the end of our life, it would be able to say what it says about them at the end of that chapter That and the world was not worthy of them. I love how the old school King James version words it, it says it like this, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. I love that word substance, it comes from the Greek word hypostasis and I love that Pastor Troy when he kind of described it, he described it like a title deed. It's, it's like the title to your car or the deed to your house. It's already been bought, it's already been paid for, it's already been delivered. It's the same word that's, that's translated to say this little saying in Hebrews 1, 3, the saying is exact imprint. It says, he is the radius of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, that's Jesus, upholds the universe by the power of the word of his, by the universe, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In, in the New Testament, The right hand is the position of power. And so Jesus sits down with all power and all glory and all might in his hands. Because Jesus, he isn't just what you put your faith in. He's who you put your faith in. That's a fact that's echoed all throughout the Gospels. I mean, really throughout the New Testament, but the the Gospels in particular, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The story of Jesus over and over again. People put their faith in the person of Jesus. And I want to talk about one of those people in a message that I'm calling Jesus Says. Let's pray for a minute. God, we love you. We honor you. We're grateful to you. We're grateful for you. Such an honor to be with you. It's so humbling to be called your children, to be called your friends. So today I pray that in this this time that we can gather together and, and talk to you and talk about you, I pray that we would become small so that you would become big. Pray we would become less so that you can become more. I pray when we leave this place, we'd be a lot less like us and a whole lot more like you. In Jesus name, amen. Like what, like I didn't grow up in church. I didn't get saved till I was 21. I got saved in an unusual way. I got saved in a football locker room. I had been playing football and hockey on a dual scholarship at the University of Minnesota and, and I got arrested for a felony. I got arrested, I got charged, I got tried, and I got convicted for robbery. It's interesting when you go into a court of law and you're guilty. <laughs> There's no other feeling. I can't describe the fact other than, uh, I stood before the judge. And I didn't want to plead guilty because, you know I wanted to lie, I wanted to try to get my way out of it. But when he sentenced me to 15 years in the state penitentiary in Minnesota, I knew this was it. This is a wrap. My life was over. I come from a line of criminals. Like my family, it's in our DNA. I have a line of my, my mom's brothers have been in prison. I mean, I have one uncle who was in prison for kidnapping, one uncle who was in prison for attempted murder, arson. I mean, it just, just was who I was. It's just a matter of time to me. I served 111 days of a 15 year sentence. I don't know how I got out other than God performed a miracle before I even knew him. I walked out of there, went back to Detroit, got a job at Ford Motor Company. I was working on the assembly line. I was, I was throwing crankshafts. I would lift the crankshaft at the end of the assembly line. I'd throw it into a basket, just 12 hours a day. I thought that's what I would do for the rest of my life is better than time. And so I got a phone call one day from a football coach from a school in North Dakota. They said, hey, we're, uh, this is Coach So-and-so from uh, Trinity in North Dakota. We're a Division II school. We're trying to rebuild our program. We, we know the coaches at the University of Minnesota. We're trying to put together a good team. We'd like to offer you a scholarship. We'd like you to come. So the next day I left and I drove from Detroit to Ellendale, North Dakota. I'd never heard of Ellendale. I'd never heard of North Dakota. <laughs> uh, when I pulled up to the address that was given to me, 50 South 6th Avenue, Ellendale, North Dakota, there was a huge sign that said Trinity Bible College, Assemblies of God. I oh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> so I walked up to the first guy who I met on the campus of Trinity Bible College in Ellendale, North Dakota, and I said, do you know where I can buy some weed? <laughs> the guy goes, bro, you need to get saved. I thought, bro, I need to get high. I've just been in a car for 18 hours. So I went downtown, I found a high schooler about a nickel bag of weed that I've smoked out in the dorm room of Trinity Bible college. And then every day for the next six weeks, Scott Smear from Portland, Oregon, who was at that school for one semester and I've never seen again. Every time he saw me, he said, you need to get saved. The football coach came in before our first game. We're in Rapid City, South Dakota to play against South Dakota State School of Minds and Technology. This is the longest name ever, isn't it? No one's ever heard of that school except the 42 people who were in the stands that day. And he came up to give his pep talk before the game and he pulled out this Bible. He opened up a green Gideon Bible and he said the words of John 3.16. And he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. I heard those words, my heart broke, tears ran down my face. I tried to act like it was just intensity. But the guy who was next to me, Scott Sneer from Portland, Oregon, who had stalked me every day for six weeks, (laughs) when I turned to look at him, he grinned like the Cheshire Cat, and I said, I need to get saved. We stood up, we walked into the shower room, I got down on my knees in an old dirty locker room. I gave my heart to Jesus. And then they baptized me in the shower. The name of the Father, psh, the name of the Son, psh, the name of the Holy Spirit. Psh, they left that one on super long. Psh, let's burn the sin out of him. No, sh- this is great. <laughs> then we went out and lost 77 to zero. <laughs> because what is they say? The, the testing of your faith builds endurance. And so I was like saved into this whole kind Of church culture, church environment like there were guys that were professors of classes that they had like their PhD in Christianity. Was, what do you where do you go to school for? Just being saved. I've been saved so long that I am an expert in being saved. And so I would like stand around these guys, and these guys would like debate theology. And it's all oh, well, I'm Calvinist, I'm Arminian. I'm like, I don't know who's Calvin, who's Armenian? Is that, is that guy who hands out roast beef in the cafeteria? And I was like, in this church culture. And I felt like my whole life was one big game of Jesus says, like Jesus says this, Jesus says that Jesus says, don't do this. Jesus says, don't do that. Jesus didn't say blank, ah, but have you seen her too late? Because like you lost, you're out. What you have to do when you don't do what Jesus says is you have to sit down and you have to set up the game. And I felt like the whole first year of my relationship with Jesus was me sitting on a stool. On the sideline, I could be completely honest with you. When I looked at these guys who thought like they had the thing figured out, I thought, I like it here. I like it on the sidelines. I like it when I'm out because I can kind of say what I want and do what I want. But here's the thing. The further I got away from the whole church thing and the closer I got to the whole Jesus thing, the more I realized that that, that whole Jesus says perspective is completely wrong. And all you have to do is pick up this little book and read the first four books in it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the Gospels. They're the story of Jesus. And you'll discover that this whole thing is extraordinarily relational. In fact, the Gospels use three main relational kind of dynamics, analogies, if you would. It uses the analogy of a father and a child when you're in a healthy relationship. That's very relational, right? The father and the child. And then it also uses the analogy of the vine and the branch. I mean, without the branch, and without the vine, those two, they're interconnected. That's very relational. It uses the relationship and the analogy of a shepherd and sheep. And we may not understand that in our culture, but my wife grew up on a sheep ranch in Montana. And here's what you'll know. Sheep don't listen to anyone other than their owner. In fact, sometimes they don't even want to listen to their owner, but there's only one voice that they respond to. And so when Jesus said that we are like a sheep and he is like the shepherd, it, it creates this picture of a really relational dynamic. And if your approach to Jesus is the whole game of Jesus says you're missing it. And you're completely missing out because Jesus extended an invitation for us to follow. And he extended that invitation to every kind of person that you can imagine. Like he extended it to to rich people and poor people, to, to powerful people and common people, to religious people and a ton of irreligious people. And so I want to tell you a great story that kind of when I read this story in Matthew chapter nine, it it reminded me of me, it kind of reminded me of my locker room encounter, the place where most people don't come to Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter nine and it's written by Matthew and it's written about Matthew. And it's when Matthew has this massive encounter with Jesus. In verse nine it says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now here's why. Matthew was at the booth because he was a tax collector. Let me put that into a little bit of perspective. If you could take the most despicable, disgusting person, the most disgusting category of people that you can imagine, that was tax collectors. So like when I think about people and put them in categories, I think about, like my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law moved here from Alabama, and, and they have an organization called I Heart World, and the whole purpose of I Heart World is to stop human trafficking. And I, I've, I've kind of gotten caught up in that world, and it's fascinating how many people are trafficked in Green Bay, how many people are trafficked in this thoroughfare between Green Bay and Milwaukee. Milwaukee's the hub of pimps. I don't know if you knew that. Milwaukee literally, is, there's a school for pimps in Milwaukee. It's considered the Harvard of pimps. I don't know how many schools there are, but apparently it's the best. There's a book that was written in Milwaukee. It's called The Pimp Bible. You buy it on Amazon. Please don't. But there's this whole culture in this area. And when I think about people who buy and sell other human beings, it's disgusting to me. And, and so when I look at the tax collector thing, it's kind of like that because tax collectors had a whole special category. They, they were traders. They were Jewish people who were collecting Roman taxes. They couldn't go into the temple. They couldn't worship with other people. In fact, they couldn't even make sacrifices, which essentially meant that their sins could not be forgiven here's how this whole thing happened. Here's how tax collectors even came to be, is Rome auctioned off the right to collect taxes in all of their provinces around the world. They do it to the highest bidder. So you have these incredibly wealthy people who would purchase the right to collect taxes in Roman provinces. And the reason that they did that is because if you owned the right to collect taxes in a Roman province, it was a very, very lucrative business because you could create and collect any kind of tax that you wanted as long as Rome got their cut. And so you'd have these Roman citizens who were very wealthy, very successful people who would go to these Roman provinces and they would grab local people because any self-respecting Roman wants to live in Rome. They don't want to live in one of the outposts, and so they would go and they would hire these local people who who would then collect the actual taxes. And these taxes were like tons and tons of taxes. Like there was a port tax, a bridge tax, an income tax, a food tax, a wine tax, a harbor tax, a crossroad tax, an animal tax, a property tax, a building tax, a marriage tax, a kid tax, a second kid, third kid, fourth kid, cousin tax. I mean, everything that you could possibly wrap your mind around on and on and on went the list of taxes. And so they would go and they would hire these local people to collect these taxes and they would pay them such an exorbitant amount of money that it would literally be impossible for a person to say no, even though those local people would immediately be hated by the people in their community. They would be disowned by their families and essentially they would sell their soul to the devil because they wouldn't be able to go and make sacrifices so their sins could not be forgiven. Traitors, they were benefiting on the Roman occupation. Matthew was one of these local guys. Matthew would have been hated by everyone. So Jesus walks into this port town on this big lake, a sea if you would, and he walks up to the tax booth and he looks at Matthew, this tax collector, this derelict, this son of Satan, if you would, and he, and he says these words, follow me. Now Jesus had like some hanger arounds at that point. He had some people that were walking with him and they were following and I can just imagine the response of the people who had kind of walked away from everything to follow Jesus like, What? No, hold up! Hey, hey, what did he say? He said, follow me. He said, follow me, like follow him. Are you kidding me? Because if he follows him, then if he's with him, then that means he's with me. He's a tax collector. Somebody tell Jesus he's a tax collector. Hey, say this, pass it on. Play the telephone game because he's about to ruin everything. Doesn't he know what a tax collector is? And Jesus looks at this guy and says, hey, follow me. Be with me. Hey, become a part of my inner circle. If you'll begin to identify yourself with me, then I'll begin to identify myself with you. And here's what Matthew did. Watch this huge step of faith. And Matthew got up and he followed him. Now, here's what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say what religious people would have assumed he would have said. He he doesn't say what people who are busy playing Jesus says would say. He doesn't say, like, Matthew, if you're willing to this, you can follow me. He doesn't say, like, Matthew, if you're willing to stop that, then you can follow me. Like, he doesn't say, hey, Matthew, let me give you a list of things. Let me give you some homework. I'll be back in three weeks. I'll check back with you. And if you've completed the assignment, kind of like Pastor Troy talked about, if you've studied, if you learned the word and you cut your hair like the little boy, remember we got the car? Yeah, if you do those things, then yes, you can follow me. He doesn't say any of that. He looks at Matthew and he says, take a faith step. He says, Matthew, follow me. It's the exact same invitation he gives to a number of people throughout the Gospels, over and over again throughout the New Testament. He asks people, like he did Matthew, like he did me in a little locker room. He asks us to take the same step of faith. Follow me. So here's the question that I want to ask today, and I want you to marinate on it for the next few minutes, and I'm going I'm to come back to it. Here's the question. Am I following not did I go to church not 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 did I read all of this not did I do this not did I stop that simple am I following and if this seems too simple for you that's okay I get it it seemed way too simple for the religious people in Jesus day too and as the story continues Matthew gives us some really really interesting details look at what happens in the next verse it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, I read like, what? Hey, five seconds ago, we're at the booth. Now we're at his house. We're, we're inside of the house of a son of Satan. And again, I can imagine like how the this dist- of the people who follow Jesus, like the hanger ons They're like, hey, wait a minute. It's one thing for him to like walk around with us because we can put him at the back. People might think he's just going the same way. But if we go inside of his house, people are going to associate him with us. But hey, Jesus did this all the time. He loved to go to people's house, incidentally. He, 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 all the time he said things like, hey, let's go somewhere familiar. Let's go somewhere that you're just really comfortable. Let's go somewhere that may affect my reputation but give us an opportunity to relate. Let's go somewhere... Like your house. Look what happens. While well, Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house, many, many tax collectors and sinners, I think that's funny how they're a category, right? Because you have sinners, and then the sinners are like, well, you know, I'm a sinner. You know, okay, I'm a sinner. But at least I'm not a tax collector. <laughs> These guys are like the extra sinners. These are the people we don't want. Even sinners don't want to be around tax collectors. And so... He's at the house, he's as many tax collectors because Matthew has no friends, right? He, the only people that he has are other derelicts like him, the people who have also sold their soul to the devil, who they're sitting around going, yeah, okay, sera, sera, man, this is great. We're tax collectors. Like, this is a big deal. Let me tell you why. Jesus was extraordinarily comfortable with people who were nothing like him. And apparently people who were nothing like Jesus were extraordinarily comfortable with him. If you're here today and you feel anything other than loved and accepted, I want you to know that's not your fault. That's our fault. Because Jesus was incredibly comfortable with people who were nothing like him and those people were so comfortable with him that they followed him everywhere he went. Jesus wasn't put off by their sin, and he's not put off by yours. Knowing what Matthew had done and what he planned to do, Jesus said, follow me. Look how the religious people responded. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Like They're like, bro, he's a rabbi, we're rabbis, he's a law keeper, we're law keepers, he worships God. We worship God. Why is it that he has a lot in common with us, but he doesn't invite us? And I love this response. This next verse is so dope. It's verse 12. Look at this. On hearing this, here's what I picture. Like in California, when you have a house, like you buy outside. You essentially have to buy what God created and man hadn't built. If there's like a patio, and, it, and it, you, we would call it a carport here. Or if you live in the right part of town, you call it a port de Right. If you ever see that. What is their house? What is that? Is that a car park? Oh, no, that's a port You're like, oh, well, bourgeois. Very nice. I'll give you an extra ten thousand dollars for the house. In California, if you had like patio doors and you could open those doors all the way up and you could have like inside, outside living space. Oh, man, that house is money. And you could entertain people inside and people could still be outside. I picture that's what it's like, because like it wasn't like February in Green Bay where they lived. It was you know, beautiful. Nice weather. And so I picture like Jesus is chilling and he's hanging out with these guys and he kind of overhears the conversation outside and he says, Hey, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I put myself in Matthew's position and I think Matthew's like, ha ha. Yeah. Wait a minute. Hey bro. So they're healthy and we're sick. So the only reason that you're in here is because they kind of got it all together And we're in here, and we're the losers, and we're sick. I'm sick. My friends are sick. You know, he's like, he's a bit offended by that. And I think Jesus just kind of smiled. Matthew, you're a tax collector. Of course you're sick. Look at your friends. These people are terrible. And I think Matthew and his friends are kind of like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. We're sick. Yeah, bro, we're sick. They're all high-fiving each other. Yeah, bro, let's party. Let's go have another glass of wine. This is great. We're sick. Because, hey, do you really think Matthew didn't know that he was sick? He's a tax collector. And here's a question that I'd like to ask you. Come on. You know you're sick, right? You know that there's something wrong with you, don't you? I mean, you're not even consistent with your own rules. Come on, Dad, you don't even do what you've asked your son to do. Come on, Mom, you don't keep the same rules you've asked your daughter to keep. Come on, parents, you're not even careful with the things you've warned your kids about. You don't have a block on your computer, and when they go to bed, you put your kids out of the room so you can watch stuff that's inappropriate for them. You say, "This this is inappropriate for kids. I tried that when my kids were like three, and my kids checked me. My daughter was like, if it's inappropriate for me, why isn't it inappropriate for you? Like, you know that you don't keep the same standards that you've asked your employees to keep, right? Like, if you really sit down and think about it. You know that there's a disconnect, don't you? You know that there's a distance somewhere. You know that if there really is a judgment, you're in trouble. You know that if the standard is like Jesus... You fall seriously short. You don't need some preacher to tell you that. And I think Jesus was so comfortable in his own skin that he's almost winsome. And I think he's in there and he's like, hey, (laughs) tell him I'm in here with the sick people. And Matthew's like, bro, that's a bit offensive, but you're right. I could use a little help in here. Let me just say something to you. People who are willing to look in the mirror and say, I need help are the prime candidates to be followers. And so Jesus, he's like offended everybody who he's with in the room, but he's not done offending because he's Jesus. And so so he says, hey, and tell them this too, but go and learn. This is super offensive to the Pharisees because all Pharisees did was sit around and learn. Their full-time job was being good. Their full-time job was to follow the rules. So Jesus says, hey, uh, Go tell them to look this up in the Old Testament, which most of them would have uh, memorized. Uh, And then he, he quotes the prophet Hosea. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And by the way, if they don't understand what I'm talking about, here's what I mean. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner's. And Jesus says, I'm not content to hang around people who believe all the right things. And I'm not content to hang around people who behave all the right ways. I want to join together with people who believe all the right things and behave all the right ways in order to call the people who don't believe all the right things and behave all the right ways who know that there's got to be something else to believe in and who wish that they had more control over the way that they behave. And as a pastor and quite frankly as a human being I'm not at all interested in being a part of a group of people Who are content to believe all the right things And behave all the right ways and stop there Because if we do that We're going to find ourselves standing outside the very room that Jesus inhabits As he comes to call the sick and the sinners When we only believe the right things and behave the right ways We eventually slide into the position of Pharisees Because the Pharisees' message was this Change and you can join us But Jesus' message was, was join me and you will change. So Jesus said, Matthew, I'm not asking you to do anything except follow me. Just take a little step, just a a little faith step and follow me because Jesus knew it only takes a little faith because if you follow him for very long, you're gonna look in the mirror and eventually you won't even recognize yourself because he's like a father, he's like a vine. He's like a shepherd. And he said, all I want you to do is just follow me. And so with that in mind, I wanna give you four things about following Jesus. Here's the first. Being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. It's actually a prerequisite. Every person that Jesus invited to follow him and said yes was a sinner. The only people who resisted his call were people who thought they had it all together, people who already thought that they were perfect. Before Matthew had ever prayed, before he had ever promised anything, before he had ever repented, Jesus says, follow me. There's no sin, there's no habit, there's no addiction, there's there's nothing that you've done or can do that will disqualify you from your ability to follow. All it takes is faith. Here's the second thing about following Jesus is being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify you. None of Jesus' earliest followers believed. None of them looked at him and said initially, oh, you're the son of God. They looked at him and thought he's a great teacher. They thought he had some very interesting things to say. They thought that he was very engaging. They thought that he was on the top 10 rabbis to watch in you know, whatever year that may be. Like, like when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's a common theme. Jesus called unbelievers, people who did not believe. And even after following, listen, y'all, it takes a good minute for some of those people to even follow, for some of them to even believe. There's a story in the Gospels, like two years into the thing where Jesus performs a miracle and the Bible says, then they believed. <laughs> like, What have you been doing for the last two years? You've been eating, having fish fries, and this is, what are you talking about? And then they believe. But y'all, it's no different than us. Like We doubt. We question, we fear, we pray with a question mark rather than an exclamation mark. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over and over again, Jesus looks at these guys and it has a theme. He says, "You unbelief, your unbelief, your unbelief. Over and over again, Jesus would get on these guys for their unbelief. In fact, one of his followers was such an unbeliever that he got a nickname for it. Doubting Thomas, forever. In perpetuity, he's going to be known as doubting. Thomas, yet even after Jesus died, rose again, and everyone else saw him walking around. Like, Thomas' voice like, bro, we just saw him. I was just with him. I just played ping pong with him at the market. Are you kidding me? You don't think he's back? Like, and Thomas is like, I don't know. I think this whole thing was kind of a scam. This, I think this was a trick. And even after all that, When Jesus encounters Thomas, he doesn't say, you know what, Thomas, you're out. He brings him in. He says, my friend, touch these and put your hand here because I love you. Because here's the third thing about following Jesus is that the invitation, the invitation to follow is an invitation to relationship. It's not an invitation to the Ten Commandments. It's not even an invitation to obedience. Look at it like marriage. If you're married to somebody who follows all the marital rules, they don't break any of the things. And you said that marriage, I, I just celebrated on February 10th, 20 years of marriage. And if you have somebody that they followed the, I promise to this, 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 and this until death do us part. Even if they follow all of that stuff, it doesn't mean you're going to have a good relationship because rules don't make relationships. The reason that I keep the marital rules is because I'm in love with my wife, Sunny. Here's what Jesus knew. If we would start loving him, we'll start doing some things differently. Because people who are in love, they start doing some things different, they stop doing other things, and then they start doing some other things. Completely the opposite of what they do. Because people who are in love, they walk differently. Remember when your middle schooler came home in love? <laughs> what's up, Bobby? She said, yes, I'm going to the dance with Sally. Everybody wants to go to the dance with Sally. She's going with me. He's, he's in love, man. He's 12, but he is in love. He. He walks different people who are in love. They talk differently. They think differently. I have a different ringtone for my wife when my wife calls. It's the song, Here Goes My Baby by Charlie Wilson. And when that song goes off, it's like, oh, hold up, that's my girl. I could be on the phone with anybody. Anybody on earth, I could be on the phone with them. Unless Jesus called me on the phone, and then Sonny would have to leave a message. But anybody outside of Jesus, I'm like, oh, hold up, that's my girl. Let me click, hang over. Hey, baby. People who are in love, they think differently, and isn't it so refreshing to be in a relationship with people who love you just for who you are, and they accept you exactly how they find you? And when you start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll realize that I'm being invited into a relationship that begins with me just the way that I am. And the great theologian of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, maybe, maybe you knew him as Saint Paul, he says it like this in the book of Romans chapter 2, verse 4. This verse doesn't get much airplay. God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. Do you know how you experience someone's kindness? You have to be in their proximity, in their vicinity. You have to be in their presence. You have to be in a relationship with them. So the Apostle Paul is saying it's not the threat of hell that leads to repentance, which just means change. It's God's kindness. Here's the final thing about following Jesus, is following Jesus forces me to focus on where I am rather than where you're not. Like if you're following someone, you're looking at them. If you're following them, you're focusing on the person that you're following. If you're a Jesus person, you aren't actively following, eventually you're gonna become a Pharisee. Like when you stop waking up saying, Like, God, my goal is to do these 10 things or to follow these 10 rules, and you start waking up in the morning saying, God, my goal today is to follow you, my goal is to become less like me and more like you, then you'll become more aware of your responsibility that, that you won't have time to judge other people. If you've ever felt judged by a church, it's probably because you've been surrounded by a bunch of religious people who believed all the right things and behaved all the right ways, but somewhere along the line, stopped following and started evaluating and judging. Let me put it this way as I close. The more conscious I am of the work that God has yet to do in me, the less critical I am of the work that God has yet to do in you. And this is what makes this church so extraordinary. You have all these people who come together, some of whom know a little bit, some of whom know a lot, some of whom have been walking with Jesus for a long time, some of whom just started, some of whom have great faith, some of whom have little faith, some of you have no faith. But everybody in this place, to the best of our ability, we're moving in the same direction, we're on the same journey, trying to become better followers, trying to become better Jesus people. And when you find yourself in a group of people like that, there's great possibilities there's great power. There's great potential for change. and So it comes back to the core question. Am I following? Because Jesus' invitation, it's extended to every person in this place today, but it takes a step of faith. Because Jesus says, follow me. Will you do that today? Will you close your eyes all across this place? Will you bow your heads and Close your eyes, I wonder if you're here today and you say, Sean, I wanna follow, man. I came here today and I'm not, I'm not with Jesus. We're not, we're not in relationship. You're religious, you followed all the rules, you know the commandments, you know all this stuff, but you've not surrendered your life. That's what salvation is, that you surrender your life. You walk away from yourself and you walk toward him. And I wonder if you're here today and you say, Sean, that's, that's not me, I'm not in relationship with Jesus and I need to receive him as my personal Lord and my personal savior. that's you today, in just a minute, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to receive Jesus. And here's how I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna ask people to do two things. The first thing I'm gonna do is with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm gonna ask people just to raise their hand just so I can see your hand until I can see your hand. And second, I'm just gonna ask you to repeat a prayer after me along with everybody else in this place. So if you're here today and you say, you know what, John, I need to receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, would you take a faith step like Matthew Would you just raise your hand today so that I can pray with you? Is there anybody in here? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks, 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 thanks. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Thank you, thanks, thanks. Thanks in the back. You guys, thanks, thanks. Thank you, thank you. I'm gonna ask everyone in here to repeat these words after me. Say, dear Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, as Pastor Bobby comes up to lead us through the Lord's Supper, the great sacrament of communion, I remember the first time that a guy did communion after a service that I was in, and it was like the drive-through version. And it was like the passing, like 30 seconds of the thing. And can I just say I love the fact that you do communion here every week, that you pause and you take a minute to really celebrate who Jesus is, and, and I remember this guy getting up and talking about communion and he kinda just whoosh, right through it, and I said to my friend, I was like, bro, why was that so fast? That's the best part. This is what it's about, that communion is the ultimate reflection of our ability to have a relationship with Jesus, to sit down. Where did he go with Matthew? He said, hey, let's go to your house and let's sit down and have dinner. And so today, metaphorically, he offers you the same opportunity to sit down and share a meal with him and commit yourself to follow him.